Welcome to the Financial Philosophers Podcast, where we explore the nuances of personal finance, improve our financial literacy, and empower ourselves to achieve financial freedom. Come nerd out with us, and let's take this journey together. Welcome back, everyone, to the Financial Philosophers Podcast. Danny, we've got a fun tax loss harvesting episode today. Yeah, and looking forward to it. This is one of those topics that I will hear so many people talking about. It's it's kind of promoted as like it's just this really great thing you should do in your um, taxable brokerage account. Um, but but I'm surprised by how many people uh, don't actually know the nuances behind tax loss harvesting, and I, I, it really begs the question of whether it's the best tactic somebody should be employing. You know, I've talked about this a bit off mic before. You know, like. Is it overrated? Um, when is it a good idea? When is it a bad idea? It's going to depend on your situation. I know you and I have some good examples to share today. Uh, to our listeners, really the goal of today's episode is to educate you, inform you on this topic of tax loss harvesting. It's a little bit of a technical tax topic, but it a lot of people have access to it, right? Inherently, if you have a brokerage account, if, if you have an investment account with your custodian, you may or may not be harvesting tax losses. You may or may not even know you are harvesting tax losses. Yep. <laughs> so you might be doing it without knowing that you are. Exactly. So really want to help increase your awareness on this and give you the tools that you need to, to have a better understanding of this. So we're going to talk about what it is, what is tax loss harvesting, when it's a, a good idea or a bad idea, um, how do you do it, right? And, and what are some of the things you have to be careful of when doing it, you know, in mm-hmm. particular, the wash sale rule, which we'll go into. Yeah. How- how do you avoid tr- uh, triggering the wash sale rule yeah. and all of the uh, detriments that go along with that? Yeah. And then I think lastly, uh, for everyone that sticks around for the end, uh, we are going to touch on tax gain harvesting, which I think is something that very likely very few people are aware of or you know have considered. Yeah, it's it's one of those terms that I don't think was ever a technical term until people started thinking about it conceptually, but it, it is the opposite of tax loss harvesting. And we'll, we'll go into that and why that might be a better fit for some people. Uh, Daniel, let's just start with the basics. You know, what is tax loss harvesting? Uh, in other words, another way you could say that is harvesting capital losses, right? You could sell an investment at a capital gain, or you could sell it at a capital loss, depending if, if, if uh, your sale is appropriate and doesn't trigger the wash sale rule, those capital losses, you might be able to harvest and use them to offset other capital gains. So very basic rule here, but this only applies to taxable brokerage investment accounts. You're not, you're not going to harvest losses in your IRA or your 401k, things like that. It's not going to apply in those situations. It's only going to be in your taxable investment accounts, you know, where you have to pay taxes on your capital gains when they occur. Uh, you have to pay taxes on your dividends when they pay out, things like that. Danny, I have a super basic example here of what tax okay. loss harvesting looks like, but uh, you know, to our listeners, imagine you purchased a, a stock, a company for $10,000, right? Then that company goes down to $5,000 and you decide to sell that stock and uh, harvest that $5,000 loss that you just incurred, right? But then on the other hand, you have another stock that you purchased for $10,000. And let's say that one went up to $15,000 and you sell that one at a $5,000 gain. Well, in theory, the way a tax loss, a harvested tax loss would work is you could use that $5,000 loss you harvested from the first stock to offset the $5,000 gain 
from the other stock you sold at a um to basically net you know net that down to a zero so you don't have to pay taxes on that that five thousand dollar gain that's essentially yeah. what what it means uh i mean with that completion of of those two trades you have you know you've come up net zero essentially mm-hmm. at, at the end of it all in terms of total profit uh for that year but it's uh, a way to take advantage of your underperforming assets your underperforming stock choices right yeah there, there are a couple rules too that you have to be mindful of when you're doing that like to our listeners you might be familiar with long-term capital gains or short-term capital gains in general long-term capital gains are taxed at a different tax rate than ordinary income short-term capital gains are taxed at your ordinary income tax rates so in generally speaking long-term capital gains tax rates are more advantageous for most people so when you are there there's kind of like a priority order that occurs like it's called it's like the netting out rules i think is what it's called so you might have a portfolio of a bunch of different holdings and some you may have that are long-term capital gain or loss meaning you've held them for more than a year and some of them might be short-term capital gain or loss meaning you've held them for less than a, a year or less um so let's say you're selling a mixture of these holdings some are short-term and some, some are long-term and so you might be wondering like well which which losses offset which losses and which you know or, or i'm sorry which losses offset which gains and that sort of thing if you have a mixture of short and long term long-term losses long-term capital losses will first offset other long-term capital gains and then short-term capital losses will then offset short-term capital gains they kind of yes. stick with their like kind if you will mm-hmm. if there's anything left over like additional losses from one or the other then they can be used to offset the other kind right so all of your long-term capital losses might have offset all of your long-term capital gains but you still have more long-term capital losses if there is any left over after they've been applied towards the long-term capital gains then they could anything left over could be applied to any short-term capital gains to offset those type of thing but you don't get to optimally choose right because i i've gotten the question before danny like you know can i harvest a long-term capital loss and offset a short-term capital gain, right? Which is at my ordinary income tax bracket, a less advantageous tax bracket. The answer is no, not unless the netting out rules happen to play to your favor in that way. You can't like pick and choose or cherry pick how you want to offset the losses. One last thing I'll mention is if you harvest losses and you've offset all the capital gains you can offset and you still have additional losses you haven't used up for this current for the current tax year in question, you can generally generally apply up to $3000 of those losses to offset ordinary income like wages from your work for example but that's the right. max if any losses beyond that would then be carried forward to future years that you could then use in additional tax years in the future so mm-hmm. and the thing to note here is that they are carried in perpetuity yep so uh let's just uh call out the Wall Street bets subreddit really quick <laughs> and if you've seen some of the people that have uh maybe realized you know one two three hundred thousand in uh realized losses in a year they'll be carrying that amount forward for the rest of their lives so you'll have that that three thousand dollar limit filled in uh for each remaining year that you're alive in this case yeah i I mean i'll give you a quick financial planning story At, at an old firm i was working for when i was client facing um my employer at the time he had a very very high net worth client and this was before i even joined the team uh this was several years even before i joined 
but I think it was during the the Great Recession, 08 and 09, when he had huge market losses. He had like mm-hmm. strategically harvested a bunch of losses and and rebalanced the portfolio and was able to avoid the wash sale rules. And I kid you not, I remember when I joined the team in like 2015, I saw those unused harvested losses being carried forward in perpetuity. It was six figures. It was like two or $300,000 worth of losses because we were talking about a multi-million dollar portfolio, right? Definitely. But it was interesting because those losses were, were able to be used strategically year over year to just offset additional capital gains as the years went on. So we were actually able to keep the tax the taxation of the taxable portfolio uh, in check over several years because of those harvested losses. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, and it's going to depend on someone's situation, but I thought I'd mention that. But So moving on, how do you harvest losses? Really, it's as simple as just selling your shares, right? If, if you bought something and it's now worth less than what you paid for it and you sell it, well, then you've technically harvested a loss. The question then becomes, is that loss then allowed to be used to offset other gains or is a wash sale rule going to be triggered? It's, it's really just selling your shares. There's nothing special that you have to do. Now, there are certain platforms. Danny, are you familiar with Betterment or or Wealthfront I, or something? I forget the name of the other one. But. So I, I know the names. Uh, I, I personally have zero experience with any kind of automatic mm-hmm. tax loss harvesting yeah. that such platforms might offer. Yeah. Yeah. They're called robo advisors sometimes. Um, Betterment is a very popular one. They have a feature where you can toggle the switch in your account and, and turn on automatic tax loss harvesting. So uh, when your account is rebalancing, there's like a sophisticated algorithm where it will always target harvesting losses, you know, in like some priority order, if you will. Um, that is another feature that you may have access to, depending on your platform that you're using. Now, whether you should be using it and whether it's actually to your advantage is another question. We can get more into that, Danny. I, I do feel like the whole automatic tax loss harvesting or even just the tax loss harvesting as a planning technique, I think it gets oversold a little bit sometimes. Um, I think there needs to be a more diligent, I don't know, conversation or have a little bit of a planning scenario like where you kind of think about your situation and whether or not it really applies to you. But those are the two ways. You either just simply sell a share at, uh, at a loss or you use some type of automatic tax loss harvesting feature if your platform allows it or has it. But this is the big topic we want to get into is when is it a good or a bad idea to do tax loss harvesting? So Danny, I'm curious actually, like before we even get into the nitty gritty, do you have any just high level thoughts on tax loss harvesting? Like, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you, are you kind of in the middle? Like, what are your, what's your general attitude on the topic? I mean, historically, I haven't really looked to it uh, with much thought or intent. You know, I, I haven't really used it much mm-hmm. um, in a purposeful way. You know, there there's have been some things that I've invested in the past that have not done as well. And in some cases where those have been sold, because I haven't always sold them, then, you know, that will just go into my tax return and it's it's never been enough to carry forward. Yeah. So I don't have a a lot of experience in terms of extensive tax loss harvesting or how it might be used to offset enormous gains. But, you know, I also am still uh, closer to the beginning of my investing journey mm-hmm. rather than the end, you know, when we're dealing with much larger amounts of capital that we need to be more strategic with. Yeah, that's um I think that's a that's a great answer. I I fall pretty similarly to you 
in that thought process. I mean, I'm also still early in my investing journey. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I have another good three decades <laughs> ahead of me, most likely, if not my entire life. Um, I used to fall in the camp of it being, you know, thinking it was highly overrated. I still oscillate sometimes back and forth to that attitude, but I do see the benefits of it as well, depending on certain situations. It hasn't really applied to me personally because I don't have, you know, a huge seven-figure portfolio. Not that you need a seven-figure portfolio, but up until recently, right now we're in a dual household income. Uh, my wife and I are in a the highest tax bracket we've been in. So some of these more fine-tuning tax planning ideas come more front and center depending on what we're doing or what our situation looks like for the year. But for most people who are just, you know, in the accumulation phase and are just trying to build their wealth, I feel like a lot of people are just in our age, especially right in our, in our thirties, you know, a lot of people are just trying to invest and save money. And if you're buying and holding for a long time, uh, to our listeners, many of you may not even be thinking about harvesting losses because you may not even care. Right. But I think it's important to to be aware of it. Danny, True. you mentioned it yourself, right? Anything you did sell at a loss was just automatically being accounted for by your, your custodian anyway, and kicked out on your tax form. But yep. it was probably just incidental to you making trades. You probably weren't sitting there going, oh, I'm going to harvest this exact amount of loss for this exact reason. It was just more incidental to your regular, you know, status quo of rebalancing your portfolio exactly. or something. So, but yeah, but let's, let's dive into when it's a good idea or not a good idea. So this is the big one, Danny, I've, you've spoken a lot about this too, is like hearing about people harvesting losses when they're in the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, this one really, really bothers me. And I'm, I'm, I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm just, I'm sad. Like there are a lot of people who, who maybe have turned on the automatic tax loss harvesting feature or are just like selling things at a loss because they want to harvest losses. But if they're in a really low tax bracket, especially if they're in the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket, you're getting perhaps no benefit to harvesting your losses. Yeah. I, I just want to call out in relation to all of this and maybe people that are, are just scraping the surface of investing and just starting to uh, look at their, their future and, and plan for retirement. I'll say it again. It's cliche and overstated, but time in the market beats timing the market. And when you're selling at a loss, you are getting out of the market. You are, you are exiting those positions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can understand if maybe you went with something that was a bit more risky and it didn't pan out and you just want to cut your losses there. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, you know, if you're, you're just getting started, aim for just smart, stable, whole market investments and hold on for the long term, you know, and if you are not selling those early, early in your investing career, then you aren't going to be realizing any gains that need to be offset anyway. You are just waiting for that, that capital to grow and begin compounding. Right. I completely agree. You know, and I do agree with your point. Like if, if some, if someone takes a speculative position in something that's quite risky, things don't pan out and you're like, okay, I, I really do need to get out of this position. And it's actually uh, because you have material reasons to believe that it's no longer a sound investment. Yes. Then, then the question of maybe harvesting those losses becomes more, uh, comes more to the forefront. But, um, when it could be a good idea though, is one, make sure you're not in the 0% long-term ca capital gains tax bracket. So for married filing jointly couple, um, the thresholds 
basically the 0% long-term capital gains bracket in 2024 is if your taxable income is between zero to roughly $94,000. I think it's 94050 if I'm not mistaken. Which is the majority of the U.S. household income. Yeah. And in fact... In 2024. Yeah. And and that's taxable income, right? So like... Correct. You have to remember... Like if you, if you make $94,000 as your total household income, your taxable income is not 94000 It's likely... And if, if this is a married, finally, and jointly couple, it's likely less because you have to take your standard deduction first, right? So mm-hmm. your standard deduction scrapes off some of your income that's no longer going to be taxable. And now your taxable income's in the 70s, right? Instead of 90s. So you might actually have some room to to recognize long-term capital gains at a 0% tax rate if that's your situation. But yeah, 0 to 94,000 and some change. The 15% long-term capital gains bracket is between 94,000 to basically 583,000. Um, I'm, I'm rounding down or up. These aren't the exact numbers, but they're ballpark. And then anything over 583,750 is the 20% capital gains bracket. So okay. long-term capital so, gains. Just to focus in on that very quickly though, mm-hmm. the vast, vast majority of anyone listening to this across the entire country and honestly the world, if you're living abroad, but still beholden to uh, U.S. taxable income uh, as any U.S. citizen across the world is, you are going to be at 15% taxable income or lower for the most part. Uh, ex- reaching that 20% means that you you are winning, essentially. like You have an enormous amount of income. You're doing very well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think most most people are going to be in the fifteen percent long term capital gains tax bracket, uh, or below. Like you said, that's yeah. I, I don't see many people over that. And quite frankly, when you get into those higher income levels, like if your modified adjusted gross incomes over two hundred fifty thousand, then there's an additional net investment income tax (NIIT), which is an additional three point eight percent, which gets taxed on ta- tacked on to your long-term capital gains tax rate. Most people don't fall into that bucket. So, but if you are if you are a higher income earner or you're in those higher tax brackets and you are expecting your tax brackets to go down in the future, then maybe harvesting losses is a good idea, right? You're in a higher bracket, maybe maybe it's suitable to you uh, to do that. Another planning scenario too, Danny is like let's say somebody has a critical threshold income threshold they have to avoid, maybe AGI or or modified adjusted gross income, MAGI. Maybe it's for a certain tax deduction or tax credit they really need to get, or maybe they're worried about triggering additional Medicare premiums if they're, you know, on Medicare. And it just so happens that your portfolio had spit out some capital gains, either from a capital gain distribution from a mutual fund, or because you were rebalancing and you sold something and you realized some gains. And next thing you know, oh no, these gains just pushed me over a certain threshold that I was really trying to plan around. In scenarios like that, maybe harvesting losses to offset some of those gains to get your AGI or your MAGI down to avoid triggering a threshold where you miss out on a deduction or a credit or something else. That could also be a planning scenario where uh, harvesting gains could, uh, I'm sorry, harvesting losses could be to your benefit. So those are some, sometimes where it's, it, it might be a good idea. Now let's talk about when it's perhaps not a good idea. Well, Danny, you you already mentioned it. If you are in the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket, it may not be in your interest uh, to do that. If you are in a lower income tax bracket in general, and you're expecting your tax brackets to go up in the future, again, you might be better off 
not harvesting those losses. It might be better to harvest losses when you are actually in a higher bracket in the future rather than if you are in a lower one right now. Another one I thought about too, Danny, was like, uh, you know, right now under Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, tax rates, you know, they're going to sunset at the end of 2025, um, assuming tax law doesn't change between now and then. January 1st, 2026, we're reverting back to the prior tax law, which means tax brackets are going up. The amount of income you can make within each bracket is being shrunk, so you can even earn less before you get kicked into the higher bracket anyway. Okay. So a lot of people right now, depending on their situation, they might be trying to do like strategic Roth conversions, right? They might be converting some retirement accounts uh, pre-tax to Roth while we're under lower tax brackets. Mm -hmm. So- we're paying that tax now at the lower rate right. so that they don't have to incur that uh, tax burden at the higher rate in a couple of years. Right, right. And so the opposite of tax loss harvesting is tax gain harvesting. Tax gain harvesting is is literally just selling a, a security or a stock or a fund at a gain and then just buying back that same uh, share that you just sold, right? So the example you were talking about before Danny, when, uh, when we were discussing this episode was, you know, you buy something maybe at $100 a share and it appreciates in value. You sell it at $150 per share, but you're in the 0% long-term capital gains bracket. So you just recognize that gain, but you pay 0% taxes on it potentially. Correct. And then you just simply buy it back. That could be something that might be a better option for you if you are in a lower tax bracket. And what that would mean for the the average person you know, making that sale, if you had purchased, let, let's say you put in a thousand dollars and after the five years you had $2,000, but you're still in that your current income, you're at the 0% long-term capital gains rate. So you can sell it and then immediately repurchase. So you've had no change in your overall net worth, but you've stepped up your cost basis so that later on down the road, when you do sell that asset, you pay either zero or a much smaller amount of taxable or a much smaller amount of tax on the gain because right. the, the difference between your new cost basis and the new sale price, let's say now if it was, you know, twenty five hundred rather than two thousand, you're only gonna pay tax on that five hundred rather than the total fifteen hundred dollar increase that you've seen across those years. Yeah, so to your point. I think that's the question you have to be asking yourself is, am I better off just selling these at a gain and then buying them back and kind of incrementally controlling my taxation Mm -hmm. on it over time rather than just harvesting losses? I think that's when harvesting losses is not a good idea is when it's clearly to your benefit to just do the opposite. And and one thing I will mention going to to the discussion on Roth conversions, I will say though, there is this question to be had, like if you're in that lower tax bracket where harvesting capital gains is more advantageous to you rather than harvesting capital losses, but you also want to do some Roth conversions, if that's part of your tax plan goal for the year, do be mindful of the interplay between harvesting capital gains and doing Roth conversions. Because if you're harvesting capital gains in 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket, you are filling up that, that income bucket, which means you may have less bandwidth to do Roth conversions, for example, um, if that because was because Roth, Roth conversions, in effect, fill that same bucket, right? At, as you uh, convert them into the Roth account in that tax-free environment, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I don't, I don't want to go down the the Roth rabbit hole yep. since we're focusing on 
tax loss harvesting and tax gain harvesting for today. But I did want to mention the Roth aspect because uh, there is kind of that crossroads where people in those lower brackets, they are at at an interesting decision point where like harvesting gains at an advantageous tax bracket or doing Roth conversions at an advantageous tax bracket, both kind of percolate up to the surface. You're like, ooh, which direction do I want to go? And you just have to realize that like taking action one or the other can affect the other the other um, strategy that you might want to employ. So that's just something to okay. to be mindful of. So that makes sense. Yeah, let's let's go to the the wash sale rules. This is a the fun nerdy technical language that we get to dive into that um, a lot of people don't understand with uh, tax loss harvesting. So you'll often hear people say you got to wash out for those wash sale rules if you're harvesting losses. And the way they say it is like, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to be in trouble. Like you can, you can sell something at a loss and immediately buy it back if you want. There's no, there's no rule against that. What comes into play is whether or not you can use that loss as a deduction against other gains. That's what the wash sale rule is saying. And so the, the best way I've heard it kind of summarized is if you purchase a quote unquote substantially identical security to the one you just harvested losses from and you do so within 30 days prior to when you harvested the losses or 30 days after you harvested the lost losses then the deduction on of the tax loss is disallowed right so if i okay if i sell a security at a loss and i want to harvest it but i had bought a substantially identical one to it 30 days prior or 30 days after so within a 60 day window 30 on either side i i might be disallowed of taking that tax loss yep Uh, i think that uh that 30 days before uh rule might be very surprising to a lot of people i think that when the wash sale rule is kind of quoted in you know kind of general discussion it's always oh if you buy it back after you sell it i don't i don't really ever hear anyone mentioning the the pre-30 regulation you said if i buy it back after i sell it that's often what i hear just like you said it yeah but another way you could say is if I sell it after I had just bought it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's another way you could you could phrase it. Um, that's where it could come to get yeah. you. So, I am curious about the substantially identical security because I have, and I know I'm opening. I'm going to open a big can of worms here, yeah. but I, I want to dig into this a little bit. I, I don't know that I can help you. Okay, uh, be- yeah, we're going to because I'm just as see. curious as you are. <laughs> like that's what's so funny about this. I mean, to our listeners, like there's this term substantially identical security, right? And so this raises so many questions it does that mean the same ticker symbol right like i i could see like mm-hmm. uh, let me let me think of i'm just going to pull two companies out of thin air here um apple and microsoft right if you if somebody were to sell apple at a loss and then buy microsoft instead this is not advice to buy or sell those i'm just giving you an example you know i wouldn't say those are substantially identical securities right they're completely different companies however they are both in the tech sector right computers things like that so same sector Um, but i'm gonna dive in here and again you can't nobody quote either of us because we're just you know kind of discussing this yeah we're not sure yeah uh in, in this realm uh but what i have read at least recently is that one of the descriptors or the identifiers that does help you avoid the wash sale rule is the purchase of an asset or fund a stock from a different company so 
that is one of the identifiers that helps you avoid it. And then you can, from what I've been reading, is that you can purchase from a different company a similar product. Yes, yeah. that is. And it, it it's very murky, right? What exactly applies? Yeah, and what what is similar, right? Like, if I buy the Vanguard S&P 500 um, ETF, uh, which I think the ticker on that is VOO. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think that's what that, it is. That sounds right. Yep. And I sell that at a loss. And then I go and buy Fidelity's S&P 500 ETF. <laughs> They're totally different ETFs, different companies. But are they substantially identical securities? Well, they I am the same I'm literally buying correct. the same 500 companies, market cap weighted. Like, that is a good question. But I have heard and I have even seen on platforms where they do tax loss harvesting where they just buy another almost exact same fund but just a different company and that does raise a lot of questions to our listeners what i'm trying to say is it's a gray area there's not a guarantee that what you think is not a substantially identical security might actually in fact be an identical security it's not clear this is actually a very vague area that has not been given a lot of clarity by the irs per se the best thing I can say is is check okay, cute with it. D- yeah, well, don't don't try to pull anything funny, and also consult with your custodian, right? Like whatever platform you're using. At the end of the day, they in most cases they they are the ones who are sending you your tax form, right? Your when you're getting your portfolio um, income report, like all of your capital gains and dividends and blah 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 blah. They should be accounting for any gains and losses, and most custodians have some things in place to to um account for allowed harvested losses and disallowed Mm -hmm. harvested losses but i do know that my brokerage has an option where um, it will alert you if something would trigger a wash sale rule yeah from some of the deep digging i've done it's it's even not entirely clear that custodians are perfectly following the rules like there just there hasn't been a lot of challenge from the irs yet there just isn't much precedence in terms of like case studies to go on that type of thing the best advice i can give is just follow your custodian's guidelines don't try to be cute with anything when in doubt consult with your custodian or your platform and just just make sure you are um you're aware of what their rules are that that's the best i could say and the other thing too danny not to throw another ridiculous wrinkle into the mix but the substantially identical security doesn't necessarily apply within the same account you're trading in right so if i have True. from the rules if I have an individual taxable brokerage account and I sell a stock at a loss and I want to harvest that loss, unless I have an IRA, right? And I were to buy that stock back in an IRA, which doesn't have any tax loss harvesting, it's, it's tax deferred, it's completely separate from my taxable brokerage account, that buying that substantially identical security, even though it's in a completely different account, even if it's in a retirement account, could still technically trigger the wash sale rule. You're starting to realize how ridiculously complex this thing can get. From my understanding, it is very likely that a lot of people, if you're really looking at the super nitty gritty technical rules, a lot of people are probably breaking the wash sale rules, but nobody is ever finding out or even realizing it. Because in practicality, there's not any clear way for anybody to track what you bought in one account or sold in one account and at the same time, within a certain time frame, bought within a different account, even if it's a retirement account, and sure. because it's not getting reported to the IRS. It's not like, you know, your retirement account, your custodian sending them 
something about your IRA saying, you know, that you bought something that would have triggered a wash sale rule. It's just, it's not being captured. It's not being captured. And so it's just kind of this interesting area that I'm curious to see how it develops over the years. Um, As platforms get more uh, technologically advanced, as tracking Mm -hmm. these things become more efficient across accounts, even retirement or taxable, I could see these rules being more strictly enforced. I just don't know how or where they're going from here. I haven't personally been too concerned about it because I'm not harvesting losses uh, intentionally. And my, from my understanding, my custodian, uh, my brokerage is accounting for them within their guidelines. Um, So uh, I'm not too concerned, but it is just something to be mindful of, right? It's, it's just this interesting gray area. Um, A couple other gotchas, not to continue to highlight how ridiculous this can get, but let's say you have a dividend stock, right? And you sell some of that stock at a loss and you want to harvest that loss, but you still own some of that stock. And it just so happens that that stock pays a dividend after you'd sold something at a loss and you have that dividend sent to automatically reinvest. Well, guess what? You just may have triggered a wash sale if that reinvestment occurs within mm. that 30 or 30, that 60 day you know, time frame. Yeah. Which it very likely will. Probably. I mean, depending on, yeah. you know, dividends usually pay quarterly. and Unless you're, you're perfectly between the quarterly payments. Yeah. <laughs> but again, how many people are actually accounting for this stuff? This is yep. this is really difficult to keep track of. It's it's just a total mess. So if you're rebalancing, if you have an automatic rebalance in your account, like certain percentages of certain holdings, and you contribute funds and it automatically balances, and some things sell off to to re diversify into other areas, and through that automatic you know rebalancing or auto allocation, you could also trigger a wash sale rule inadvertently without even realizing it. I don't know. I, I think some of these in practicality don't really come into play, at least not yet. Uh, but these are just things to be mindful of. I'm a financial planner. I'm aware of what tax loss harvesting is. And even I am confused and don't fully understand how all of this is being tracked and perfectly captured at any given time. I, I, my understanding is just not currently. Um, okay. But that's fair. again, that's why I always say consult with your custodian. <laughs> that's the best you could do. Yeah. Some closing thoughts though. Danny, I think if somebody has a very clearly obvious situation that warrants tax loss harvesting, like they're in a very high tax bracket and they, or they have a certain threshold they're trying to avoid and just absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Trying to make sure they come in just underneath uh, an income limit that they have to stay under. Right. Or they think their, their taxes are going to go down in the future or their income's going to drop. Then yeah, maybe you look into tax loss harvesting. It's a completely legitimate strategy that, that people have every right to use. Right. And, you just have to be mindful that you're not triggering a wash sale rule and checking with your custodian. But if it's good for your situation, then great. But to your point, Danny, like tax gain harvesting may be better for a lot of people, so long as it doesn't conflict with other tax planning goals that you have for the year, like, you know, Roth conversions or whatever you're planning to do, if that's on your agenda for the year. I do ask myself if it's worth all the headache and added complexity for a benefit that I'm, I don't know if it's, I don't see a benefit to my situation personally, so I, I don't focus on it much. Uh, and that that's because if I could just kind of dip into investment philosophy for a second, Danny, I don't know if this is the quote, uh, but I've heard something along the lines of don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog, right? Like don't let the tail wag mm-hmm. the dog. Because when I think of investing for the long term, you know, I, th- I think of a plan that's well thought out. I think of yep. intentionally buying investments and holding them for the long term 
And I, I just, I see this idea of like getting too proactive with harvesting losses sure. um, as like perhaps interrupting the goal of your investment to begin with. You mentioned it earlier, Danny, which was like, what was the quote again? Timing the market. Um, Time in the market beats timing the market. Yeah. I mean, that that really makes a lot more sense to me. And yes, if tax loss harvesting makes sense and it's it's clear, again, I think it's best to, if you're uncertain about it, check with your custodian. Also talk to your financial advisor and your tax planning professional. You know, make sure it makes sense for your situation. Don't get so carried away with, tax planning strategies without realizing what you're doing and, and make sure you fully consider your situation before taking action uh, to make sure it actually makes sense for you. And to your point, Danny, sure. like, time in the market is more important than timing the market. That makes me think about uh, upside risk, right? Mm-hmm. Before we go into that, I also want to follow up on that. Yeah, We've mentioned Warren Buffett many times in the past yeah. year of doing this podcast and all these episodes. By the way, everybody, we are coming up on 50. Wow. Uh, we'll be there very soon. We'll call out when we actually hit that that 50th episode. Yeah. But we've mentioned Warren Buffett many times and, uh, you know, some different quotes from him and some of his uh, investment philosophy. Well, I, I recall that he was asked about how taxes and taxation factor into his investing strategy and how he chooses to invest in the companies uh, that he invests in, et cetera. Et cetera. And he said, it doesn't. <laughs> Taxes don't factor in to his investing whatsoever. He he is focused on picking winning companies and winning investments. And the taxes are a concern afterwards, after those have performed well. That's when he worries about the taxes. Yeah, not to take us too much on a, on a side tangent <laughs> here, but you're getting me nerdy about this. I remember hearing an interview, uh, I think it was at one of the Berkshire Hathaway conferences that annual, annual conference annual meetings annual yep. meeting and I think that's where it was and somebody said something like about you know interest rates rising and falling and what the Fed's going to do and blah 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 how does that affect your your invis- investment decision process and he said something along the lines of you know if the chairman came up to me and whispered in my ear precisely what they were going to do with rates and I had I had full knowledge of it before anybody else did and I was given foresight I would change absolutely nothing about how I invest. <laughs> like he, his whole point is like he's so like logically committed to just making sound investments. Period. Buying good companies or good investments at good prices. And obviously, not all of us are Warren Buffett, nor do we have the assets that he has. And for most people, we're probably not able to implement an investment strategy anywhere near like he does because we just aren't as knowledgeable as he is. But he has a good point, and I think it complements what we've just been talking about, which is don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Don't let these other other factors, which may be important and play a role, but are not they're not primary factors. They're they're, they're ex- secondary. secondary factors, right? Yep. Don't let them dictate what you would otherwise do and as part of a sound investment strategy or plan. I think that's where I'd leave it with it. You know, tax loss harvesting, tax gain harvesting, these are these are completely legitimate tools to have in your belt. And when it makes sense for your tax situation to employ one or the other, great. But just be mindful of these nuances we've discussed. Understand that this is a complex, this is a complicated topic. And it just, just being clear on how all these things work and whether it applies to you and what you need to be mindful of, that's going to be very important to, to keep in mind before you make any big decisions tax-wise. Anyway, I think it's a good place to stop there, Danny. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to our listeners uh, for 
stumbling along this uh, this complex topic with us, especially if you're still around. Uh, congratulations for being that level of nerdy uh, with us. But um, we appreciate it, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Have a great week, everyone. All opinions expressed in this program are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions or financial advice. Always remember that investing involves risk and the possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a qualified professional before making any important financial decisions.